so Glenda Mallman, a world-class mom. Some would say because she had a world-class challenge in a son. Um, I think the jury is still out on that. Um, uh, aside from that, uh, she is an elder at City Bible Church, our home church in Portland, Oregon. She's an author of a number of books, uh, which you can find. She has been a teacher in the Bible college there for a lot of years, uh, a hero in the faith uh, to many, and someone who teaches and preaches in many different settings um, and internationally. She's someone that is uh, sought after. So this morning, will you please welcome my mother, Glenda Mom? Eventually. You're good. Okay. You want a second one? You're good. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. Thanks. Huh? I'm okay, I, I guess. All right. Ah, well, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I met several of you uh, at the beginning that I hadn't met before. Can I raise this just a bit? Thanks. Thank you. And several of you I've met before, but I haven't been here for two and a half years. And so it's my first time in this venue, and it's lovely. It's really wonderful. Wide open spaces. I love this. I mean, I only knew it as a dance studio when we walked by, so it's great. You know, something unique about uh, our family uh, that if if I've not met you before, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we do actually not only love each other, but we like each other. <laughs> and you can't. And you all know that you can't say that with every family. And I probably can't say that about all of my family members. But oh dear, I hope this is not being recorded anyway. Um, you know, but we love each other and we like each other. And another kind of unique thing about our family, unique to the 21st century, perhaps is that uh, we also love and like Rebecca's parents. And they were the first people in our church that invited uh, my husband and I, Ken, uh, over for dinner because they were in our church before we were. And uh, they invited us over for dinner. And lo and behold, how did we know that our firstborn son would marry their secondborn daughter uh, one day? And so anyway... Carolyn, uh, Rebecca's mother, and I meet on a regular basis. We are great friends, and we pray for all of you. Uh, we, we meet in, uh, to be honest, just keeping it real here, we meet in Starbucks at, uh, <laughs> at Target, but uh, we talk about what we're praying about about for you. I felt the Lord led me to pray this for the church. Did you pray this? How did the Lord lead you? And, and what are you praying for the family? You know, and I want you to know that our family, so you have, not, you not only have family families on the West Coast, but you also have a church family on the West Coast. You're on our City Bible Church, uh, you know, database. We pray for you, uh, as a church, and we're very excited for you. I pray for Aslan House. I was thrilled yesterday. I don't know how many of you are living there, but I was thrilled to take a picture of your house that wasn't a stalker outside. But I was taking a picture of your house. And we pray for, uh, the Mothers of Murdered Victims, uh, the organization there for your food ministry, for your worship ministry. Uh, you know, we pray for you. So you've got friends on the other coast. Uh, you know, that are praying for you and, and just holding you uh, in high regard. 
So we just love you so much. So I could go on and on about that, but I'm going to move on uh, to the Word of God. I'd like to start today's message with, and I'll, oh, okay, we've already got the, the title up there. We're going to talk about the rewards of choosing joy in trials. And at the end of the service, if you want, uh, I've done a little Bible study. I did one a couple of years ago on rewards in the Bible. And so I've got a typed out list in the back uh, that you feel free to take with you when you leave. And it's, you know, we get heavenly rewards and earthly rewards. We can't earn them. It's not like a paycheck, but it's just biblical. And some people are nervous about talking about the benefits of being in the kingdom uh, and about serving him, things just like giving to the poor or things like serving a meal to someone or things like hanging in and not giving up in the midst of trials. There's a reward for us on the other side. And today I want to share with you about how those are tied together. But I'd like to start the message with just a parable. You know, Jesus told parables when he walked and talked the planet. By the way, excuse me, um, I've got to stop for just a moment. Sometimes the Holy Spirit downloads things to me. And so, uh, brother, you were up here playing the guitar. And I don't know if you, yeah, with the beard. I don't know if you already are a songwriter, but I feel like the Lord's going to give you songs. And as you're playing, he's going to download songs to you, songs for the house, songs of worship for him. You're going to bring new songs uh, into the house. And as your songs are sung in the midst of the congregation as worship songs, uh, healing will flow over the congregation. There'll be healing songs. It'll flow like a gentle stream over the congregation. You don't have to work at it. It's just going to happen in your own devotional time. The Holy Spirit's so faithful. Well, I want to share with you this parable. Um, and it's a story of, and it's just a story. You know, a, a parable is, you know, there's a, a little story and then you take a truth out of it, you know, and it's applied. So this is a story of two angels who came to earth. The Lord sent them down. One was the older angel and one was the younger angel. And their assign, the assignment was is that the older angel was to mentor the younger angel, you know, in, uh, about their, you know, ministry and perspective on humanity. So they came to earth and they were walking along and uh, they walked and walked and walked and talked and talked. And then towards the end of the day, they came upon the home of a rich farmer and his wife. And so they knocked on the door and uh, they asked the rich farmer and his wife if they would have a, ho- a bed that they could stay in for the night. So the rich farmer and his wife welcomed them in and they ushered them down to a basement room and uh, let them stay on a couple of cots uh, down there. And as they were getting ready for bed, the younger angel, he's supposed to be learning, so he notices that the older angel, uh, and he had noticed a, a hole in the wall, and he knows that the older angel noticed it, and, and he knows that the older angel uh, just kind of uh, covered up the hole and smoothed out the wall, and so you would never know that there had ever been any hole in the wall before. You know, and so I thought, well, that's nice. Okay. Uh, note to self, you know, do kind things for people. And the next morning they got up and, uh, they thanked the rich farmer and his wife and they went on down the road and they, they traveled. They kept walking and talking throughout the day. And that evening they came to, uh, a poor farmer's house and his wife. And they knocked on the door and, uh, they asked the poor farmer and his wife if, uh, they could spend the night there. 
And the poor farmer and his wife welcomed them in so graciously, but they didn't have a, a basement room. All they had was, you know, one, a one-room house, and they let them sleep on their own bed. And then the next morning, and they, and they gave them a meal, and then the next morning when they got up, uh, the farmer's wife was fixing them breakfast, and uh, then the farmer came in, and he was just destitute. And he said to his wife, our only milk cow died in the night. I don't know what we're going to do. And so they ate their breakfast, and then they thanked the poor farmer and his wife and they uh, for hosting them, and they went on down the road. And they walked for several miles before finally the, the young angel couldn't take it anymore. And he asked the, the older angel, he said, what, what's up? He said, I don't get it. He said, the rich farmer and his wife barely offered us anything, just a cot to sleep on in their basement, and you fixed a hole in their wall. The poor farmer and his wife offered us everything, food, their own bed, while they slept in the barn, you know, all of that. And you let their only milk cow die? I don't get it. And the old angel said to him, Things are not always as they seem. Things are not always as they seem. He said, when we were at the rich farmer's house, I noticed the hole in the wall, and I reached in, and I found a bag of gold. And I sealed the wall shut so it would never be found again. And when we got to the poor farmer's house, in the night, the death angel came and asked me for the wife. And I gave him the milk cow instead. Things are not always as they seem. You know, and I appreciated Melinda's testimony this morning. You know, we need to look beyond our circumstance into heaven's perspective and see what heaven would say to us in the midst of trials. Uh, We all have them, by the way. You know, we can't compare our trial to someone else's trial uh, because we all have them. They're just... They're just different. I'm not saying that there's mean angels out there sealing away gold in our walls. But things are not always as they seem. Uh, In James 1, uh, verses uh, verses 2 to 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So we learned four things uh, through this passage of scripture about trials. And one is, and you probably already know this, if you've lived long enough, they are certain to come, right? Uh, James says to us, when trials come, he doesn't say if trials come, he says when they come, all right? And so we know another thing, and that is that sometimes they come suddenly. We weren't expecting them. They come suddenly. Uh, years ago, Ken and I, my husband and I, <clears throat> and James says, you know, when you fall into them. So when we least expect it, we stumble we have a, we total our car, you know, whatever. It's, it's a sudden trial, a sudden test, right? 
And so James says, you fall into it. Years ago, my husband and I read a book, actually a children's book, and uh, it was a story about uh, a donkey. The donkey was the star of the book, and he fell into a dry well one day. And uh, the, the farmer who owned the donkey, I'm into farmland here in Baltimore, what's that all about? But the farmer who owned the donkey, uh, he heard the donkey braying, you know, and he and his neighbor came over to see if they could figure out, and they spent most of the day trying to figure out how to get this donkey out of this dry well. And when they finally realized there's no way we... I don't know what to do. We can't, we can't figure this out. And they, and so the farmer said, well, I don't know what to do. So out of mercy, I guess we'll just bury it. And so they both began to, can you imagine that in a children's book? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they began to shovel and they began to, you know, shovel dirt down into the donkey. And every time, can you imagine you're in the dry well and dirt's coming down? And so every time more dirt came down, what did the donkey do? He shook it off, and he stepped up. Sometimes you have to shake it off and step up. And the donkey kept doing that until he got up out of the well. Now, Jesus, in Luke 10, when he sent the 72 out to witness, what did he say to them? He said, look, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. And what does dust represent to us? What are we made of? We're made of the dust of the earth, right? Sometimes, suddenly, people will come against us, and what do we need to do? That humanity that wants to cling to us, cling to our perspectives, cling to our thoughts, those words that hang on, that have been negative, that have come against us, that are the dust of humanity that cling to us, we need to shake it off and step up, right? Shake it off. And when Jesus said that to his disciples, that was actually a slap back to the Jews. Because when the Jews would go into Gentile nations to witness to them of Judaism or to do business or whatever, and they would come back into Jerusalem, they were taught by their rabbis to shake off the heathen dust from your feet before you come back into the holy city. And so when Jesus says this to his disciples, it's like a slap back to the Jews. If they don't receive you, just shake it off. Shake it off. And that's the word of the Lord to some of us here today. Shake it off and step up. The third thing we know about trials from this passage in the book of James is uh, that they come to us in several different ways. He says there'll be various trials. You know, sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's social. They come to us in a variety of kinds of ways, right? The fourth thing that we can learn here in this passage of Scripture, James says, count it all joy. Oops, did I run out of... Do I need to back up? Okay. The fourth thing that we learn is that a godly perspective releases heaven's perspective. He says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Whoa, you know, well, what about that? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Uh, this word, if you don't mind, I'm just going to take you f- through a few of the ancient Greek words. Uh, this word uh, in Greek, this word testing or trial means a testing that is directed toward an end. Uh, and that you should emerge stronger from it. It's a test that should come to an end. 
Aren't you glad that our tests, some of them are cyclical and they seem very unending, but from heaven's perspective, there's going to be a time when that comes to an end. In James 1.3, it says that the testing of your faith produces, and many of our English translations say patience, produces perseverance or produces patience. But that English word actually is far too passive from what the original Greek word means. In the original Greek, it means, it's two words, and it means to stand tall under a crushing weight. To stand tall under a crushing weight. So if you can imagine, okay, here's the test, here's the trial, but I'm going to stand tall even though this is a crushing weight. And it means the ability to turn trials into greatness and into glory. Isn't that good? It's like the testing of your faith produces hupomone. It produces this ability to turn trials into greatness and glory. It actually, another rendition of this is to give you the strength to conquer, conquer even harder, harder battles. Now, you all know this from, probably from doing your exercises, right? Because we're all, you know, we all, right? Exercise. <laughs> Yes, I know. Anyway, but when we exercise, what happens if we're going to get stronger? There's micro-tearing that happens in the muscles, right? And that's why you get sore, because there's micro-tearing in the muscles. But what then happens after the micro-tearing and the soreness? You've got a stronger muscle. That's the picture of this Greek word, is you end up, and you're not able, you're not only able to suffer through it, you're able to vanquish, vanquish them, Okay. Now, this is the real passage of scripture that I want to emphasize to you today. And that is, and I have this one written in the front of my Bible, God will bless you if you don't give up. How many of you know that? Sometimes it's just a matter of not giving up, refusing to give up. God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested and he will reward you. So I want to encourage you to pick up those rewards and see what's coming your way. Some of them you may not receive until heaven. Some of them are earthly rewards. Some of them are heavenly rewards. But he's going to reward you and give you a glorious life. Now, today, I want to talk to you, and maybe this is a little different. I don't know um, all the messages that you've heard in this church. I know that you're blessed because you're in a word church. But I want to talk to you about one of my favorite people in the Bible, somebody that I consider to be a hero in the Bible, and that's a woman by the name of Leah. Now, Pastor Ben warned me that somebody's here is named Leah. I don't know who. Are you? Okay. <laughs> I'm not talking about her, although I'm sure she's just as courageous. But are you married to the guy next to you? Okay. I'm sure he doesn't treat her like this guy I'm going to talk to you about in the Bible. Okay. So there's no personal reflection here. Okay. Now, we could talk about uh, a lot of the natural things. You know, we're this amazing uh, triune woven being, right? Spirit, soul, and body. And so you probably know many of the things to do uh, to help you with tests and trials physically. What? 
exercise, run, do some aerobic exercise, that releases those endorphins uh, in your body that says, okay, I'm going to be okay. You know, uh, watch uh, what I eat. So if I'm under a lot of stress, not eating too much sugar, not eating too much salt, although when we're under stress, that's the first thing we want is nice chocolate and then some buttered popcorn. Sorry. Okay, anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, and then in our soul, doing things that uh, edify us, that build us up. Uh, what kinds of things that do you like to do, just naturally speaking, that cause you to feel better, that release the tension? You know, you do those things. But through Leah's story, I want to talk to you about, uh, of course, you're in church, about the spiritual uh, angle. And Leah is an amazing uh, woman of God. Like I said, she's one of my heroes in the Bible. But her dad didn't have the right perspective on Leah, and then her husband doesn't have the right perspective on her. Uh, when her dad named her, he, Leah means, uh, in the original Hebrew, means to tire or to be disgusted with. It means to uh, make weary. So that was her dad's perspective, is you just wear me out. You know, you make me weary. I, I just, I'm disgusted with you, you know. And the Bible says that Leo was tender-eyed. Now, we don't know if that means she had an eye condition. And later on, in generations later, in the book of Jeremiah, it talks about that people that came from her tribe, some of them were blind. So I don't know. We don't know if Leah, you know, had an eye condition or if her eyes just lacked the luster that her sister's eyes had. Anyway, uh, it says that she was tender-eyed and uh, it said that she made her, her dad weary. Uh, in its cultural origin, the name Leah means gazelle. And it, that denotes the beauty and grace that can then carry you swiftly in your desert places. Isn't that beautiful? Because Leah knew what it was like to live in desert places, to live in dryness where her family didn't have a, a respect and an honor for her and a joy about her. She knew how to reflect beauty and grace uh, in such a beautiful way. Uh, years ago, I read about an experiment that was done uh, well, I don't have time to tell you about it. Never mind. Okay. What I want to say is this, is don't be deceived into thinking that this life is the big event. That's good. Because it's not. It's important. It's crucial what we do on this earth because how we live affects others and affects generations. You know, and so it makes a difference how we live in our trials because it speaks something to the coming generations, to those who are watching us uh, from behind. How you live, how you worship, how you come into this house and, and are friendly and warm affects the children of the house. And they say, oh, this is how a Christian community, you know, functions, etc. right? But in the end, even if I don't receive my reward for walking through my trials with joy until I get to heaven, that's where the big event is. That's where the big event is. I think about uh, Corey Ten Boom in World War II. How many of you have read of Corey? Okay, uh, about two-thirds of you know about Corey. So in World War II, she was a Dutch girl living in Holland, right? And she was a clockmaker. She was a sister. She was a daughter. You know, and she and her family, her dad and her sister were rescuers of the Jews. 
They hid them away. And then came a day when the German soldiers came in and took them out. Her dad died, then later her sister died in prison. So in an earthly sense, she's no longer a daughter. She's no longer a sister. She's certainly no longer a, a clockmaker and no longer a rescuer of the Jews. Who was Corey that no imprisonment, no soldiers c- could take from her? She was a believer. She was the daughter of the king. You know, what is it that tries to steal from you your identity? You see, Leah's father had one perspective of her, but her heavenly father had another perspective of her. Her heavenly father said, oh no, I've planned for you to be the mother of many nations. I've planned great things for you. And we're going to see here in just a minute the importance of her sons. And as you may know, in Bible days, people named uh, their children with names that, uh, in this statement, with names that meant something, uh, that, that they either had hope for them in this area or it reflected something about them. So man had marked her in one way, but God had marked her in another. Her first son's name, we're going to see, reflects her hope. Oh, sorry, I'll give you these quotes from Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. How many of you found that? Yeah. It empties strength for me today. Okay, and then never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Maybe you don't know anything that's going to happen about tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to get your children back. You don't know if your marriage is going to last. You don't know if your job is going to last. You don't know if the finances are going to come through for you to make your rent. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But you're trusting the known God. Trusting the one who is the provider uh, for you and who can come through for you. Well, Leah, this amazing hero of the faith, named her first son Reuben. And Reuben means behold a son in her day and in her generation the very best thing that a wife could give to a husband was a son well that's different today it doesn't matter either way but it's like she was saying jacob you know because jacob had been tricked into marrying her a long story we don't have time to go into but jacob she wasn't the wanted wife she wasn't the wanted daughter and she wasn't the wanted wife you know and so she's saying jacob behold a son And we don't have any indication that Jacob paid any more attention to her after she gave him a son than he had before. I mean, let's get real. Things up, things here on earth don't always add up, right? She's like, I'm I'm giving you my very best and yet I'm getting no response uh, from you. Her second son's name was Simeon. How do you make it through trials and tests and stand tall up under the crushing Wait, how do you do that effectively? You gotta be listening. I think Leah had to listen to her heavenly father to make it through a marriage where her husband loved her sister. You know, I mean, her dad tricked Jacob into marrying her, right? He, he does this thing. Leah, he wakes up the next morning and, yikes, this isn't who I worked seven years for. You know, I get Leah. What's the deal? He goes to Jacob. Jacob says, look, just finish out the bride week, and then you can have Rachel too, but work another seven years for me. Okay, so Jacob loves Rachel. The scripture says that very clearly. And he is. it says that Leah was unloved by her husband. Okay, so she gives him, she's listening. Lord, what do I do? 
What do I do? I, I heard, a, I read a story years ago about a little boy in uh, during the Great Depression. <clears throat> he lived in a small town. He only had one toy, and it was a, a, a little sailboat that had a stick and a carved out piece of wood and a paper, you know, on a paper sail. And he would every day go down to the stream and play with his sailboat. And one day, sure enough, the stream carried away, and he was so depressed. And he was you know, walking downtown, and he saw his boat in the front window of the uh, secondhand store. And he went in, and he told the shopkeeper, he says, that's my boat in your window. I made that boat. That's my boat. And can I have my boat back? It's my boat. I made it. And the shopkeeper said, well, son, I'm sorry, but he said, I I paid this many pennies for it, and you're going to have to pay me to get it back because I paid for it. So the little boy went out and from neighbor to neighbor, you know, asked for little jobs to do until he could earn enough pennies, you know, and, and he went back several, I don't know if it was several days now or a couple of weeks, few weeks, he went back and sure enough, it was still in the front window. <laughs> and he went in and he, showed, he told the shopkeeper, here, he said, that's my boat, I made that boat and, and here's the price, here's the money for it. And so the shopkeeper gave it to him and he took the boat in his hands and he went back to the stream And as he was putting the boat into the stream, he said to the boat, as though the boat would know, right? I made you, and I paid for you. You're twice mine. Now look. If people have told you like they told Leah, you don't have any value, I tell you what. God made you, and he paid for you. You are twice his. You are just that special. And that's all there is to it. (laughs) So that's how you make it through. Her third son was Levi. Levi. And Levi means joined. I think this is reflective that Leah had a great hope and, and, and Rachel wasn't having any children up to this point in time. And so, uh, the, the other wife, her sister. And so I, I think maybe Jacob was starting to be friendlier. I don't know, because then Rachel goes on a big wine and then God gives her a son, opens up her wood. Anyway, but so joined, uh, is the next one. And then, uh, we're hurrying along because I will get you out on time. <laughs> and then Judah is her fourth son. Now watch this. Judah means praise. Now she had something to praise God about. Do you know what? It is the unloved daughter, the unloved wife, through we have the seed who is the, that goes to the line of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, Rachel had two very significant sons in their generation, Joseph and Benjamin, but it is through Leah that we have Jesus. I'm just saying, this life is not the big event. It's important, but it's not the big event. Okay, now watch this. Uh, oh, and I love this quote, and I have to tell you, uh, I, I googled it, and it's a lot of people claim to have said this first. So anyway, life is not a puzzle to be solved. It is a mystery to be lived by faith. How many of you have lived long enough now that you can't figure out why you have some trials that others don't? Or why others seem to have trials all the time and others don't, you know? Life's not a puzzle. We can't solve it. It's a mystery to be lived by faith. Leah's next son, her fifth son, 
and of course she she experienced barrenness too and then gave Jacob her maid and he had other children through her maid in her name but uh, sorry that's a typo it should be he will bring a reward not bearing a reward uh, anyway he will bring a reward Issachar fifth son hmm he will bring a reward he will bring a reward Leah's next son is Zebulun. Zebulun, I think Leah's like, okay, if what I get is trials, I'm believing for the rewards to come, but I'm going to dwell here until they do. And her last child was a girl. And this is a whole story in and of itself, the story of Dinah. But Dinah means justice. And I think Leah believed for there's coming a day when the reward of God will come to me and justice will be made known. Leah's reward, she's honored throughout history. She got to be buried next to her husband in the cave as the first wife, (laughs) not Rachel, the loved wife. And the second thing, as I said earlier, she's honored in death. Uh, in that she produced the seed to the line of Jesus Christ. Our rewards, personally, this thought came to me one day. I think that eternal rewards are God's delayed gratitude for a job well done. Now, again, I've got a list there for you, and we get some earthly rewards. But if you never see an earthly reward, well, you have earthly rewards all around you. You've got people who welcomed you today, people who, and we heard an amazing testimony. These are rewards, you know, absolutely fantastic. And a child's smile. If you heard a child laugh this morning, you were rewarded by God. You know, the sunshine. I'm from Oregon. I'm telling you, that's a reward. You know, that's a reward. Okay, our challenge in trials, and I'll close. Just four simple things to help you to remember. One, stop. When the next test, the next trial comes, just stop. Remember who you are. You're twice owned. That's just how special you are. Look. Look to him. Look to him. Listen. Hear his voice. Hear his voice. And then proceed. It's just all about the traffic, right? Proceed. Go where he tells you to go. Do what he tells you to do. Shake it off. Step up. Because, remember, things are not always as they seem. Thank you for the privilege and honor of being with you today.